Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. A blessed Lent to all of you this Monday, March the 14th, as the light of Christ shines on us from Matthew chapter 22. We took quite a while to get through chapter 21, and when we get to the end of that, they were kind of left with questions about who is this Jesus? The chief priests and the Pharisees heard this and they're like, what's going on? We can't attack him because the crowds love him, but we don't like him either. And then Jesus continues to teach. And yes, we are back to another parable, the parable of the wedding feast. This is a, a wonderful visual, something that we have read many times, but like anything in scripture, it is something always good to go back and slowly come back and look at it through the lens of what we see in the gospel and who Jesus is. So open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word, we have the honor of having with us the Reverend Dr. John Woolrobby, Assistant Pastor at Our Savior Lutheran Church in Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin, and Second Vice President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Pastor Woolrobby, happy Lent and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you, Pastor Finner. Great to be with you today. Pastor, this is our first time together. Um, tell us about yourself, your family, and, the, and your work uh, in various ministries throughout the LCMS. Well, I'm originally from Mankato, Minnesota, but uh, grew up various places in the Midwest um, and uh, attended uh, seminary, well, first of all, college, uh, started at Valparaiso University, but then my draft number was low, so I ended up going in the Navy, and then God moved me to study for the ministry, finished at Concordia Ann Arbor, and then went to Concordia St. Louis. I've uh, served congregations in Colorado, and then I got called back to the seminary to work on another graduate degree and teach, and then I went active duty as a Navy chaplain for 25 years, retired in 2009, served a congregation in Illinois, uh, and then moved up here to Wisconsin, where I have the pleasure and honor of serving the saints at Our Savior Evangelical Lutheran Church in Whitefish Bay. I also teach at Concordia University as an adjunct professor in the theology department. Mm. Um, I edit Concordia Historical Institute quarterly, and um, and then I serve the Synod as uh, a vice president, regional vice president for the Great Lakes region. Well, it sounds like you're busy. That's why it's a joy to have you with us this morning, uh, hey. Pastor. And and it's a good it's a good reminder to you, our listeners, that often we we get kind of not caught up is the right word, but you know, we, we think about our church and you know, everything starts in the congregation, the word and sacrament ministry we have in our congregations, but also the Lord has put everything together that there's service beyond us that pray for our chaplains and our military, like Dr. Woolrobby was. And then we pray for our vice presidents who represent our, uh, our synod and then also our colleges and everything. I mean, I, I find every time I have a guest, there's something new for us to pray for. So that is a reminder for us all to pray for those other ministries and proclamation of the gospel that's happening throughout our world. So on that note, I mean, talking about prayer, 
Pastor, as we look at Matthew chapter 22, can you begin our time in prayer? I will be happy to do so. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have called your church to witness that in Christ you have reconciled us to yourself. Grant that by your Holy Spirit we may proclaim the good news of your salvation so that all who hear it may receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions concerning our text here in Matthew chapter 22, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. All we'll begin is that we are in Matthew chapter 22. We'll read, and our text today is simply the parable of the wedding feast. And as we look at this, we will be reading from the English Standard Version And we want to make sure that we are going through this slowly and the riches that there are within. So let us begin by hearing these words, Matthew 22, beginning in the first verse. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, to, to one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went into the, on, out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in and looked at the guest, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into our outer darkness. At that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. This is our text today. Pastor, let's start, I always say this in the program, is let's start like you're in confirmation class and the question arises, Pastor, what is a parable? What would you say? Well, it's a, it's a very good question because about one third of the recorded teachings of Jesus consist of parables. Uh, a parable is a story that describes the kingdom of God in action. Uh, one of my professors at the seminary, Dr. Martin Charlemagne, wrote a, a wonderful little book called Proclaiming the Parables. He, he points out that uh, uh, parables don't deal with abstract concepts. They are descriptive telling us of something that happens when God is busy reestablishing himself as king among and over people. So a person who hears or reads a parable of Jesus is confronted by the necessity of making up his mind about who Jesus is. Um, where the uh, parables were to be understood by anyone, if and when they stand in a relationship of faith in Jesus Christ, as the embodiment of God's kingdom. Um, 
there's several points that, that Charlemagne made about parables uh, and, and how they point to the kingdom. Uh, first, grace is the first characteristic of the kingdom of God in parables. God's kingdom does not come in response to human achievement. Uh, it's entirely God's grace, his gracious doing. Second, God chose to dwell with his people. Third, Jesus embodies God's kingdom in his person. Um, uh, the kingdom of God came to people in person of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is when God is active, redeem us through Jesus Christ in order to establish his rule over and among people. And so whenever you hear a parable, you say, okay, the kingdom of God works like this. And then it unfolds as Jesus described it. So the perks are, that helped. that's, boy, that is wonderful. That's a reminder that I want that book by Martin Charlemagne, um, because that really is, I love, I love parables. And so this is really fun for a new resource for me to dig into because it is first and foremost about the kingdom of God on how the kingdom of God works. And that's very explicit here. He speaks that way. And secondly, that it's all about grace of a God who dwells with his people, not a God far off, but a God who's actually with us in the dirt, if you will, taking on our flesh and taking on our sins as well. So it kind of perks your interest when it says, okay, here's a parable, boom, our ears should perk up and say, okay, how does God's kingdom work? Is that a fair way of looking at that? Right. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Wow. Okay. So, so everything happens in the context and we've been bombarded by a number of parables before this point. So tell us uh, any context uh, as we come into chapter 22, you want to highlight? Sure. So, so this is taking place on Tuesday of Holy Week, even though when these lessons come up in the church here, whether it's three-year series or the one-year series, it's later, uh, usually toward the end of the church year, yet it's, it's actually taking place during Holy Week. So beginning with uh, Matthew 21, you have the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and then that's followed by Jesus cleansing the temple, then Jesus curses the fig tree, uh, then Jesus' authority is challenged by the chief priests and elders, um, and then he asks he responds by asking them about John the Baptist. And then it starts with these parables. And first of all, is the parable of the two sons. One who said he wasn't going to do what the father uh, asked, but then later did it. And the other one said he is going to do it, and, and uh, yet doesn't do it. Then the parable of the vineyard and the rebellious tenant. And that's right before this one. Uh, the chief priests and the Pharisees uh, perceived that 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 parable is about them, and were seeking to arrest Jesus, but they were afraid of the crowds. And then Jesus leads right into this parable, which is also then addressed to the chief priests, uh, scribes, and Pharisees that he uh, he was addressing before. Um, after the parable, uh, the Pharisees questioned Jesus, trying to entrap him about paying taxes uh, 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 Caesar, who's on the coin. Then uh, the Sadducees questioned him about the resurrection, about a woman who was married several uh, several brothers. Um, the Pharisees questioned about the greatest commandment. Jesus asks, whose son is the Christ? Uh, and then 
Uh, in chapter 23, he has the seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees and his lament over Jerusalem. He, that lament over Jerusalem is very important in view of our parable today. And so this is a, a good reminder that in the midst of Holy Week, that he continues to preach and to teach. And and with that, it's a, I like how you brought us back and then also beyond our time, because there is that feel of the Pharisees and Sadducees and the religious leaders are just getting more and more caustic with Jesus. This is not a, uh, uh, there's a battle ready to be done and they are just trying every single thing that they can to take him down, obviously all the way to the cross. So, so pastor in the middle of Holy week, he says this, anything else you want to highlight before we start digging in? Well, um, First of all, the, the parable uh, of the wedding feast focuses more on present ministry of Jesus rather than on the last day. So that's important to keep in mind. Although it, it refers to, uh, it points toward heaven, uh, it, it's talking about the kingdom uh, acting as, as Jesus is speaking and following. But it also, uh, as we'll see, points us uh, before that to what God has done throughout the Old Testament. Um, the themes from the previous parable, the parable of the vineyard and the rebellious tenants, are continued in this parable of the wedding feast. Uh, Jesus' divine sonship, Israel's persistent rejection of its prophets, and the inclusion of Gentiles in God's kingdom are in both parables. Both parables have a certain figure. In the, the previous parable, a master, and in this one, a king, both parables have a son. Both have servants who are sent. Both have a second sending of servants. Both are addressed to the Jewish religious leaders, chief priests, scribes, and Pharisees. That's a good reminder as we go back to the previous uh, parable that there are a lot of connections. And I know for me, one of the realities we tend to do is say, okay, now I'm going to focus my attention on the parable of the tenants. We read the parable of the tenants, and then we stop and then we next week we'll we'll cover another one and we don't necessarily look at all the connections but you that is really eye-opening as we look at the number of parables before this that the connections of the king and the son and the servants and the jewish leaders is a very common theme in almost everything jesus is pursuing at this time because they're the ones who are pushing back on him the most a lot of these are explicitly towards them and, and that's going to be interesting, too, as we reflect on what that means for us as well. So, Pastor, we made the connections. You've, you've broken everything down. I don't know what else you want to highlight, but is there anything else before we begin? Well, as we get into this parable, it can be broken up into three parts. And so we'll look at that. But, but the first part, I mean, verse 1 of chapter 22, just as he spoke again in parable, saying, okay, so the, the first part of the parable itself, is verses 2 through 7, uh, the initial invitation ending with the destruction of those invited who dishonored the king and his son. The second part is verses uh, 8 through 13, the second invitation to all they could find, ending with one who did not wear the wedding garment. And then the final portion is the summary, and that is verse 14, for many are called, but few are chosen. So, just keeping that in mind, uh, keep all that in mind as we go through the parable itself. Okay. Well, let's start digging in. 
um, to the parable of the wedding feast. And I like how you laid this out. We always ask, who is who here? And, and you've laid that out for us already. So as we look at this, let's begin starting at verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Now, Pastor, we're going to stop there. As you said, this is the first section, and there's part of this that you're like, well, this is a nice story. You know, there's a feast, an invitation, there's oxen, there's fat calves, but then this first portion kind of ends badly. So how would you break this down so we keep focus, not on the, the, the bad, mean last part, but the whole thing? Well, first of all, is the invitation goes out. The, the king, uh, God the Father, uh, sends out an invitation and um, the, the question that, that some uh, commentaries have is who exactly are the servants that the king turns out? Are, are they the Old Testament uh, prophets and the invitation throughout the Old Testament to the children of Israel and then through them to others? Uh, or is it uh, the disciples now and, uh, and following uh, that are being sent out? Um, I... I I don't think it's an either or, it's a both and. So throughout the Old Testament, um, God sent his, his message of the invitation about the, the banquet. And it, 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 I mean, the first promise goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15, the, the proto-Evangelion. But then through Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, uh, and you have the genealogy of promise that through them, all nations would be blessed through their, uh, uh, from their offspring. All nations would be blessed, and then the the prophets were sent to call back, uh, call the uh, Israelites to faith in God. And throughout, they uh, uh, they didn't pay attention. In Judges, you have this cycle of of, uh, of rejection and then uh, challenge, and God sends a judge, and then they repent and. And, uh, and, but continued on and on and on. And, and, and some of these prophets were, uh, not only ignored, but, but persecuted and some were killed. But then Jesus ministry manifests the wedding feast, uh, being present with them now, uh, right there with these chief priests, uh, scribes, Pharisees that are listening and his disciples will go forth to invite many and they will be ignored persecuted and killed. Uh, so you, you see, I, I, I really think it's a both and from all the way going all the way back to Adam and Eve, uh, to the present and continuing on then to Jesus disciples, inviting people. Uh, and, and those that, uh, that ignored the invitation and even killed the, the servants, um, 
he's speaking to those leaders of the Jewish people, and they will face the the um, the judgment that came in 70 A.D. under Emperor Emperor Titus uh, when Jerusalem was was destroyed. But the focus is that God sends out an invitation. He's gracious, and we're going to uh, to see that again in the second part as well. And so I love the. You know, that is something that always kind of has tripped me up is, <clears throat> is it either or, or is it both and? And I, I, I really enjoy how you laid that out, that it, it, it definitely, we, the argument can be made, and I would agree with you, that is a both and. Um, but the focus is not necessarily, okay, who are these people? But definitely the focus is the invitation um, that verse three, you know, verse two and three, it's like, okay, he sent to the wedding feast. And as far as I know, unless you're an extreme introvert, a feast is a great time. Like this is not something where you're invited, hey, why don't you come over to my house and work? <laughs> you know, why don't you come over to my house and help me dig a, a big a big hole or something? Um, he's invited them to a feast. And then, so the first invitation goes out and they don't come. And then he, right. and this, go ahead, oh, keep going. No, keep going. Uh, this, this, this feast was promised. I mean, Isaiah, and, and this is the Old Testament lesson for the three-year pregnancy uh, series where this uh, gospel lesson is. Yeah. And, and in Isaiah 25, uh, uh, starting in verse 6, On this holy mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. I mean, it just sounds like exactly what the king is, has prepared here in, in our parable. Uh, this rich, wonderful feast that, uh, and, and the people are invited to it and yet they don't want to go. And one of the ironic parts of, of it. So then he goes from there and just a reminder, almost like he's quoting Isaiah 25 and said, Hey, oxen, the fat calves are all ready. They're slaughtered. Everything is there. This is completely free. This is not a, okay, make sure you bring your $5 for pizza night at the youth group gathering or something. <laughs> no, this is, it is all free. Come, come, come. But then, but then what happens, Pastor? Well, as, as we pointed out, they some ignore uh, and just go about uh, whatever their business is. Um, and, and some uh, actually even kill the, the servant and, uh, and, and so, just as in the previous parable, with the uh, uh, the parable of the tenants, um, they they are destroyed. And uh, sadly, that's what happened. Uh, the Jewish people uh, rebelled, and uh, the, the Roman armies came and surrounded Jerusalem, laid, laid siege, and uh, all of that is recorded in Josephus. Uh, it, it, it just was a terrible, uh, two years of siege and, uh, and then the, uh, uh, temple, the walls, everything was destroyed. The only thing that is left today is a small portion of the wall that's called the Wailing Wall. Um, and, uh, uh, so, and, and Jesus had also, uh, uh, talked about and foretold this in Luke 19, um, uh, where he was lamenting and saying that all of this will be destroyed. And then uh, after this, he will, in, in Matthew 23, verses 37 to 39, he will lament over Jerusalem. He knows what's going to happen. 
And what does that tell us about looking forward to Matthew 23? Because here he just tells a parable and just lays it out. Now we could easily see Jesus and the Lord kind of like, well, I told you so, you know, I mean, there it is. But I think Matthew 23 is good for us to reflect on a little bit as we read this parable. He laments over Jerusalem. What does it tell us about Jesus as he uh, um, dwells with his people? He loves them. Uh, you know, he, he would be like the mother hen gathering them under uh, the chicks under his wing, but they would not. Um, and, and, and all of this is how our dogmaticians describe what, what God's alien work is. Um, and, and that's the law. Uh, but there is the law. And the law has its consequences. And I believe um, that as we look at that, that helps us to understand, well, one, the, the love of God uh, in Christ that we see, obviously going all the way to a cross, the cross, I should say. Um, but also it really helps us, I think is a good filter for us as we look back to everything that Jesus did, the teachings, the, the healings, the uh, cleansing even of the temple, uh, those actions he did all out of love, like you said, that alien work. Right now, uh, Dr. Walrabi, we need to take our break. We're at that time. We are studying Matthew chapter 22 with Pastor John Walrabi, and we'll be right back. This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are studying Matthew chapter 22 with Pastor John Woolrobbie, assistant pastor at uh, Our Savior Lutheran Church in Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin. Excuse me, I almost put you in Washington there. Uh, second vice president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And Pastor, you you gave us a great filter of of God's love and Christ being presented to us. And I tend to I tend to jump real quickly, but I could not help to hear this invitation to the wedding feast and the liturgy that we have when we have a communion Sunday, when we sing, this is the feast with there, how, what kind of connection or is there a connection? Am I going too fast when I make that connection here this morning? Oh no, certainly that, that this feast points to, uh, actually, uh, Revelation 19, the, the marriage feast of the lamb in his kingdom, which have, has no end. And, and so, uh, uh, and that is wonderfully displayed in our liturgy where, Again, uh, Christ comes to dwell with us and be with us and be in us to assure us of our forgiveness. And so that's why uh, this is the feast and for festival uh, Sundays. It's a wonderful uh, reminder for all of us. that. And, and I, I think Art Just, Dr. Art Just of the Fort Wayne Seminary, uh, in his book, um, you know, that uh, heaven uh, comes down to earth and that we in the Lord Supper, join with those who are yep, up there, in, enjoying the feast in heaven. And so, uh, yeah, there's a wonderful connection there. 
come to the feast as as he says and and it, it does um it does remind us a little bit like you said it was for ministry for his time then and i think there's a connection for us right now we we were thrown you know push forward as dr just does so wonderfully and for us today this does also address the reality for us in our world today meaning you proclaim as you do in your congregation as i do here our churches throughout the world, they proclaim the free and full forgiveness of sins that they have in Christ, the, the forgiveness of sins and life and salvation that you receive in the feast of the Lord's Supper, the, the, the gifts of, of everything that the Lord has given, the fruitfulness that comes from that, and people don't come. And I feel like this at least admits that that reality is there. It doesn't mean we don't grieve, but it does admit that. Why is that important for us to remember for our world today as we hear this parable? Well, that there are many people out there that need to hear the message, that need to be invited. But as we're going to see as the parable goes on, um, that is um, that that people can refuse and, and refuse that in, invitation. And that refusal uh, in this first part and in the second part is really uh, dishonoring the king and his son. Uh, by refusing that invitation, and uh, sadly, there there will be consequences, and and we need to uh, acknowledge that. So as, let's continue on in the text because it does it it does become very interesting to see what happens from here. I mean, we're already at an interesting point, right? That it isn't just that they didn't go; is that they attack those who were actually inviting. Um, and so that's, a, I guess, another reminder for us of persecution throughout the world as well. But let's move on. Verses 8, and I'll go through verse 10. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite, the wet, invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. I want to stop there. I know we're kind of in the middle of the second section, but, it, no, but that section can be divided in two parts. Oh, okay. Properly at verses eight through 10 and then verses 11 through 13. Oh, perfect. Perfect. We, we did it well then. And so the invitation goes out again, but it seems to be more open. How would we, how would we teach this? Um, it's to, to all. They're to go to the road and uh, uh, to invite anyone and everyone. And uh, um, the, uh, this, this certainly ties in well with what uh, you know, Scripture interprets Scripture. So like Paul writes in First Timothy 2, verse 4, God would that all be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Or uh, Ezekiel. Um, 18, verse 23, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from the way and live? So God would that all these, uh, and, and so the invitation was out to all people. Um, and, and, uh, uh, and yet not, uh, again, I think it's not in the parable, but not all, uh, come. Now it, it says both bad and good. Um, so, we know that we're saved by grace through faith, and that uh, this the, the king's inviting and everything like this. But here, I think it's using it in the sense of 
purely human civic righteousness perspective, uh, how people appear to one another. Um, so just like Jesus ate with the, the uh, sinners, the tax collectors and the, the uh, uh, prostitutes, uh, the invitation is for all. No matter how well you appear in, in public, in, in society, uh, uh, that invitation is, is for you, for them. Uh, and, uh, and then what makes someone unworthy is, uh, dishonoring the king points back to those that others were unworthy. They had dishonored the king and his son by refusing the invitation. So the, the focus that, and I like how you're saying that is in verse eight, you know, so right now he's angry. He, he, like you said, 70 AD, this comes a fulfillment that he said to his servants, you know, the wedding feast is ready, another invitation, but those invited were not worthy. So they had dishonored the king. And that's a, that's a great way of, of putting that because we could easily just say, well, they're not worthy. They're, they're, they're part of the bad ones. You know, we think in the civic well, realm as opposed to. And that's Jeffrey Gibbs in his commentary mm-hmm. that, that points that up. Yeah. I want to give him. <laughs> give we give him the credit a lot on, on since we've been studying Matthew, but it's great insight. And they go, therefore, main roads and invite the wedding feast, as many as you can find, as many as you find. Um, and so they go and they're doing it. And now, I mean, everything is looking really good. Everyone's invited. Sinners are welcome. The, the, wedding, hall is, the wedding hall is full of guests. In my right. mind, in my mind here, Dr. Woolrobby is like, okay, end of parable. Sounds great. The wedding hall is full, you know, everything is really good. To this point, I want to make sure we don't get to the next part too quickly. Because to this point, you're like, this is awesome. This is how God is. This is how his kingdom is. Any thoughts on, I mean, this is a joyous part. Yeah, it, it, it is. And it, 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 it ties in uh, elsewhere with uh, another parable in Matthew 13 with the net that goes out and brings in all kinds of fish. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, we... And we think about heaven filled with people from all tribes, all nations, all tongues. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's a, a, a glorious picture. And uh, you, you think, oh, my, you know, great. Why didn't Jesus stand right there? But he's got something more to teach us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think uh, kind of going back to Dr. Gibbs a little bit is um, uh, he, he brought up one time and I took Greek class with him. Is he said, you know, there's times when you read the Bible that you kind of wish Jesus would have stopped, but then he kept going because we needed more to learn. And I thought that was a great way to say it. But before we get to that point here, uh, Dr. Woolrobby, anything else you want to highlight in the first 10 verses of our study so far? Um, no, well, just that, you know, this wonderful invitation is going forth and, and it continues to go forth. And, and so no. we... Um, are not only the invitees, but we also are the servants, and uh, uh, we continue. Uh, certainly, to the, the um, those of us who are called and ordained to the public office, the ministry do it publicly uh, on behalf of the, the congregations that have called us. But uh, all Christians um, are, are Christ's witnesses and uh, and servants in this way, and so. Uh, uh, that's uh, a wonderful opportunity, and that's why I began our prayer uh, with our prayer about uh, 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 proclaiming the good news of our salvation, uh, so that others 
receive that invitation. And that's a good reminder for us as a church, um, wherever you, our listeners, are, are placed, is that every Sunday morning is another invitation. Come, the, the feast is ready. Uh, we sing this is the feast, and, and it's, it's there. And we pray. Um, Dr. Kleinig has a lot of great stuff on prayer that part of our divine service time in prayer is that we bring those individuals that either are not able to be there with us or are not wanting to be there with us, and we bring them to the feet of Christ at that time for the Holy Spirit to work on them. So it's another call for, for you, our listeners, and for pastors, and for me and Dr. Will Robbie. Pray for those of whom we know and love who are, I guess, just not taking the invitation um, serious of the free forgiveness our Lord has given to us. So, so Pastor, let's continue to move forward. Right now, the, the wedding hall is full of guests. I mean, it is wonderful. Let's continue to that, like you said, that second portion um, through the rest of these verses. Verse 11, we'll go through 13. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, Dr. Walrubby, a little bit of reflection on this is I've, I've preached on this. I've taught on this numerous times. And this is the part that really brings up the most questions and, and angst and, and, and grief among people who hear it. And I would say even in my own heart, because verse 10 would have been great to end on. But here, can you break this down for us? You have, you have a wedding garment, you have the reaction of the king, and then you have the ending of it. This can be quite taxing and exhausting to look at if we don't put it in the right way. So how would you start us off and teach this? Well, it's important to remember the banquet is the king. The invitation is his gracious invitation. The hospitality is his. Uh, it is to honor his son. And, and so all of it is pure grace, uh, but then he has this warning. And, and the warning is to, to those who um, think that they have, either have a place in the banquet because of their own doing or basically are just there to kind of in your face, God. Uh, uh, and, and I'll explain that further in a bit. But the we have this gracious king who has extended this wonderful invitation. And, uh, uh, and, and so the question is, what is this wedding garment? Uh, and, and many people have come up with, with uh, all, you know, the ideas of baptism and uh, uh, certainly faith. Um, uh, and, and certainly it's not your everyday street clothing. Uh, that's what this guy wore. Um, Dr. Gibbs points out that, uh, um, that, uh, it, uh, he, he, he thinks it's a, simply a clean, festive garment, but some people have proposed that it's a cape or a shawl, a special thing. Uh, we don't know for sure what exactly it was, but, uh, uh, nor do we know whether it was the custom of the groom's family to provide for those who didn't have them. Uh, apparently in the parable it is, but the implication, uh, seems to be that, the king was providing these for the people, and uh, and so all this grace is provided, and yet this one fellow 
is just in your face, you know, sitting there. And, and the king comes in and calls to friend. He says, friend, what are you doing here without a wedding garment? And the guy is speechless. He doesn't have an answer. Uh, and, and, and so, uh, in view of what made people unworthy before, and that was dishonoring the king and his son by not accepting the invitation, I think we've got another case of someone dishonoring the king and his son by, um, either thinking that he has a place here in this wedding, uh, at the wedding feast, uh, by his own doing or just out of spite and, um, and, uh, being ornery. <laughs> it is, it is, I wish, okay, this is another wish. And this is not thus says the Lord is it that there was, uh, um, the speechless part kind of leaves me, I guess you say speechless. Because is this a, uh, a rebellious, uh, speechless, like, you know, the heck with you, like a teenage, a teenager to their parents, like, oh, just whatever. Was it a, oh my gosh, I should have worn the wedding garment speechless or is this something else? And, and we don't know, but any, any thoughts on that? Cause that's the part that always trips me up. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know exactly, you know, so whether it was, uh, um, basically not knowing what to say or, or, or what, but I, I think what, what follows kind of helped. Um, and, and that is, uh, again, something that Dr. Giff pointed out in, in analyzing the, the Greek word. And, uh, when, when the fellow is bound hand and foot and cast out into outer darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, that, that is not weeping of self pity and, and pain, uh, uh, that kind, and gnashing of teeth like that. Um, Dr. Gibbs points out that gnashing of teeth is, is usually, uh, indicates hatred, anger, rage, animosity. Uh, and, and one place where, where it appears is in Acts 7, verse 54. Those who, uh, heard Stephen and then gnashed their teeth against him and stoned him. Um, and, and, and so it seems like this person had some kind of animosity, rage, um, toward God and toward the king and, and his son. And so he was just there to be defined. So it, it would be a, a, okay. That, that, that is very helpful when you connect it to Acts chapter seven, which Dr. Will Robbie pointed us to one of the great visuals, I would say in scripture, when when he gives this wonderful sermon, a very law gospel sermon, and says, you stiff-necked people, this is Acts chapter 7, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And he goes down, and then at the end of that, you just have this grinding of teeth, kind of like a, a little bit of a grrr, you know, and, and getting the teeth yep. out there and so forth, that they were not like, oh my gosh, I need to believe this. It was a, we don't believe it, get out of here. And to put that in context, like you said, scripture, interpreting scripture, that when this man or this uh, um, guest was speechless and was thrown out, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. I, I can't believe I made the wrong decision. It's, it's more like, you know what? I don't, I don't like you. I don't believe in you. I don't want anything to do with you. Grinding of the teeth, just like those religious leaders to Stephen. Is that kind of in the right track? Right. I, I think that that is exactly what it is. And, and so 
uh, this dishonoring of the king and his son, this resisting the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, hardening of heart, uh, you know, however you want to describe it, uh, that is, uh, is what this character seems to be all about. So as we look at this, I want to go back to verse 12, that um, clearly he had dishonored the king. And I've heard a lot, like you, like you mentioned, that there's a lot of different theories on this. It appears that this wedding garment was either received or it was very clear that that's what you are to wear. Um, and he didn't. For whatever reason, obviously it was act of defiance. And the, the king um, says, uh, friend, this is a very unique situation here. And you alluded to it, but I wanted to touch on it again. What does this tell us about the king? And how we address his, well, I guess, you know, the, his guests, even the ones that are defiant. <laughs> I think it's always out of love. I mean, whether, I mean, certainly it's agape love, but, but also philos love. Uh, and, and I think that's the word here, philon, friend. He wants to be generous. He wants to invite. He wants to uh, show his hospitality. And, and yet, you're faced with this uh, 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 person with his animosity and in- indignation, and and so the king uh, says, "Okay, here's the consequence," and uh, and so he's thrown into uh, outer darkness, which is referring to hell. And what does this tell us? This is a message for us to be able to proclaim today. And, and, and what is your encouragement to our listeners, to our pastors and churches about, um, one, who this God is and, and how we are to proclaim it, uh, especially based on this parable? Well, that he is a loving, generous God whose invitation wants to go out to all. Uh, and yet, um, the law also has to be, uh, proclaimed and, and that is the wages of sin or death and that's. That uh, if if we resist the Holy Spirit and refuse God's generous invitation, uh, we are basically um, placing ourselves outside of God's uh, presence, and that's what hell is, and uh, that will be for eternity, and that needs to be proclaimed as well. And why? I ask this question because that's not necessarily really popular. Um, to proclaim and to uh, and, and to to present the truth of what what God is. Why why do we struggle so much to be able to proclaim this truth? And and why is it important for us to continue to preach it? Well, uh, because it, it, it is what God has put forth in His Word. It is the truth, but it it goes against I I, I think our human sentimentality, uh, which is twisted, uh, and so. You know, we want to have a, a, a loving God, and we do have a loving God. But uh, also, we need to recognize that going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, um, that uh, the wages of sin is death, and uh, um, and God did not want to um, uh, Adam and Eve to continue to to live in this sinful condition, and that's why He didn't want them to eat as a tree of uh, of life. Uh, but, uh, so they face death, but he promised a savior and that savior, uh, uh, to do 
seed of the woman and uh, through offspring of uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, on David uh, uh, came in Christ, in Jesus Christ, God with us, and the initiation of the marriage feast uh, was here with us and continues. And that invitation is out there, and uh, it's important that uh, that um, both law and gospel are proclaimed. That is um, Keep going. Um, I, I just wanted to say, I, I, I don't know how much time but, uh, we have, but uh, verse 14 is very important, and, and we, we need to, uh, to get to that uh, as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we have, we have eight minutes left in our time. I wanted to make okay. sure we covered all of our bases before we get to that one, because, like you said, that's an important piece. So is there anything else in the first 13 verses, Pastor? Um, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. What we uh, already observed, I, I, I think, and and, uh, and so um, again, we have a case of someone dishonoring the the king and his son, um, as did the uh, the first invitees, and and uh, but the invitation still is there, and it's a wonderful, generous invitation, and the gospel needs to to uh, uh, predominate. So as we. As we look at this, I, I have a few visuals in my mind of, of a church that we helped at in the inner city that they would have, you know, worship on Sunday and they would have a midweek worship service and the pastor would go out on, you know, in the front door and just invite people as they walk by. This is a very prominent uh, spot. A lot of people walking by and he wasn't trying to be mean. He's just like, Hey, come, the gifts are ready. That's part of the reason I, I say what I do. And it was interesting because at the end of the day, he was not like, trying to make everyone feel terrible, but he was just saying, Hey, come, you know, the forgiveness is here. The, the gifts are ready. You know, it's in there. Here's, here's your opportunity. So that's what I, I envision as I see this, how it plays out in our world today, which leads us to verse 14, where we see that in action verse 14, which says for many are called, but few are chosen. This has obviously been very prominent. Um, this is like you said, the summary of the whole thing. What do you have to say about that last verse? Well, this is, um, a, a very important passage, not only as a summary to this, but, uh, it, it ties to, uh, what Paul speaks of in Romans chapter eight and Ephesians chapter one. And that is that, um, if we are, uh, in Christ, we are uh, chosen. We are predestined. We are elected, um, and and so um, this is a, a very important teaching of Scripture that is supposed to be uh, only gospel. It, it is not, uh, and, and it, it, this parable points to the paradox. The invitation goes out to all. God would that all be saved, and yet we are saved. It is God's gracious choosing, and uh, uh, He has worked in us through His Word and sacraments to bring us to faith in Christ, and to keep us in that faith in Christ. And and, and that wonderful teaching, which is also in Romans eight twenty eight to thirty and Ephesians chapter one verses three through fourteen, is to to be a, an assurance for Christians who are facing the struggles and the challenges of, uh, um, of life in this fallen world. And, and so, um, that, that we trust in Jesus as our savior, um, 
uh, we can uh, have confidence that God has chosen, uh, chosen us in eternity. And so, Pastor, this brings up a few thoughts in our world today is that we can easily get discouraged when we hear this, this parable because of what we see in our own world. So, you know, we have worship on Sunday, you know, you have maybe other times and they're in the week, the, the free and gracious invitation of our Lord's feast uh, of his gifts are, are there for us in Christ. And he keeps inviting us, but we look around and go, how come there's not as many people? <laughs> there's there, some of my family members are not there. Um, how would you encourage the church today to stay steadfast in this invitation? Because it might look like there's no point. I mean, why am I doing this? This isn't working. How would you encourage them with as they look around the um, world? First of all, uh, that that uh, we were invited, and this invitation is for all people. And we we have the privilege of being the servants that bring the message, that invitation to others. But then it is God's work, God's, and so um, we we shouldn't get frustrated if people reject it or persecute us or whatever they do, um, because God work, and uh, He He will continue to work as His word goes forth. Uh, so, so that that is uh, uh, all, all I would say. Still, gospel for us that that uh, it's God working, he's working in us, and that he is the one that's working. And so it's, it's not on us if people uh, reject the invitation. It wasn't on the prophets of old. It wasn't on the Jesus apostles and disciples that were sent out. Yeah. Uh, it is God who is at work. And uh, if some uh, reject that invitation, that is uh, uh, on them. And... Uh, uh, and yet God wants that invitation to continue to go forward throughout their lives. And that's the opportunity that we have. Pastor, we have uh, about a minute and a half left in our time. How would you uh, summarize this parable and, and encourage our guests? Well, it is, uh, I would say, a wonderful parable of God's grace, sending out this invitation, working through the children of Israel to bring uh, uh, to, for for God to become uh, incarnate uh, for our salvation, and then to use us to send this invitation out to to others. And uh, um, and we also have the the wonderful joy of being part of the wedding feast even now, as we uh, receive or partake of, of God's word and sacrament now. And, uh, and so, um, we have a, such a wonderful, generous God and, uh, uh, and, and that is shown, shown in this parable. Um, and, and we should see it as encouragement for us. The Reverend Dr. John Woolrobby of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin, and Second Vice President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, giving us God's strong word from Matthew chapter 22. Pastor Will Robbie, thank you for bringing us his gifts. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.